1 Peter 4, look at verse 7. Whether you believe it or not, the end of all things is what? Near. You say, well, I didn't think you were supposed to predict that or set a date. Well, I'm not. But we've been in the end times for a while. Remember, God is not slow as we count slowness. He is what, Sunday school class? Patient. Because we talked about it a little bit today. It's not that He's slow. He's patient. And why is He patient? He's patient because He loves people and because He is giving people the opportunity to repent. That means the church has got something to do to be used by God in order to reach those people. Now, if you would, take your finger real quick and put here and turn back to the left to Hebrews chapter 1. Because it is important for us to get our minds around the timing that is in play. So the author of Hebrews, when he opens his book up in chapter 1, verse 1, he does a real good job of giving us an overview of the entire Bible, and he answers the question, what is God doing? Sometimes we wonder that. Hopefully this helps answer that question. Hebrews 1, look at verse 1. This is not up on the PowerPoint. It's okay. See, this is why you got to have your Bible today. Verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these what, church? In these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. So the Son has always been a vital player, but there's something about when He shows up in the flesh that has everything to do with timing. If you want to know when the end times started, God punched the stopwatch at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So now we've been in this situation for 2,000 years. And we have warning upon warning throughout the Scriptures about becoming complacent, about sitting idly by, about saying, well, where's this promise of His coming at? We even have Jesus give a parable that talks about that people will get restless waiting for Him and begin to get drunk and gluttonous and begin to beat their fellow servants. Any of you know Christians like that? Got some fellow brothers and sisters they want to beat up on? Why? Because the imminency, the any moment coming of Jesus Christ is not a forefront picture in their minds. The New Testament is riddled page upon page with the second coming of Jesus. With the fact that He is returning with the fact that we don't know when but we know in the blink of an eye you're going to leave this room and when your eye snaps open you will see him face to face it's only amen if your hand is not in the cookie jar right Do we live in light of His coming? Or do we just live for today? This is important, guys. Because it has everything to do with the choices that you're making right now in your life. 
It's almost like the difference between someone who's saving a little and trying to be wise to pay off whatever debts they owe and making sure that they have a retirement going on in the future and the person instead who has just become completely content with living paycheck to paycheck. Because when calamity hits, you find that you're turning your pockets inside out looking for an answer. A lot of Christians are going to end up in that position. And everything that we're going to talk about from this point forward is going to be framed inside the idea of the Lord Jesus is returning for His church. He is coming to rapture us to be with Him. Now the question is, what do we do while we're waiting for this? Well, you give all your stuff to Goodwill and load up the covered wagons and head out on a hill and just wait, right? There's a little place located not too far from where Beth and I used to live called New Harmony. And it's a beautiful little place. It's the only place that I've seen that could begin to compete with Wisconsin as far as mosquitoes are concerned. <laughs> it's incredible. But it's a beautiful place. We would go there often. We'd walk. We'd hang out. Just nice little shops and cool stuff. But the reason why it's called that is because a whole group of people got so convinced that the Lord was returning that they gave away everything they had and they started a little colony there. It was a new, harmonious colony so that they could just camp out and start their own thing and wait for the Lord Jesus. And they're still waiting. It's not that he's slack and coming. It's the fact that he comes in his time, not when we want him to. You put the end times in our hands, we mess it up. We end it too quickly. But it's interesting to think there's a place, in fact, there's a few places around that are known for Christians gathering together and saying, okay, Lord, we're here, we're ready. We have to remember Jesus doesn't come at a time that we're expecting. Yet he still asks us to be ready. And so the question is, is how do we get prepared for his return? Let's look at some things. The end of all things is near. Therefore, what is that there for? Best interpretive question you could ever answer. Because the end is near, what needs to happen? There are four things, and we have an element of how we do it. In fact, if you want me to give you just a very general outline, verses 7, 8, and 9, Talk about what? Verses 10 and 11, tell us how. What's the what? And how's the how? Let's look at it. Number one, be of sound judgment. Think clearly. Don't let junk dilute your mind. See things for what they truly are. Don't start from the world and the media and read into your Bible. You will always get it wrong. Understand that God tells you everything you need to know about the past, present, and the future. He has spoken perfectly in His Word. To this day, no one has found a flaw. They're trying, but you can't find it. And they've gone over it and over it and over it. God, when He speaks, He speaks truthfully. He speaks consistently. He speaks coherently. And knowing His Word is the most important thing that could ever happen. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. But be renewed 
by the transformation of your minds, or sorry, the renewing of your minds, be transformed. That's how it happens. The Word of God being distributed and taken in. Or, let's go back to what we were seeing the previous three weeks. It's the idea of the equipping of the saints with the Word of God that takes place from Word-centered ministries so as to apply that, get involved in the work of the ministry so that the Holy Spirit begins the building up process. And next thing you know, you can't help but to love us because we're so full of love. Are you full of love today? Depends on what donuts you got waiting for you after we're done, right? Sometimes we base it on that. I don't get one of those strawberry donuts. I ain't loving nobody. Sometimes we get very trivial about those types of things. First thing, think clearly. In fact, let me give you a great example of how pertinent this is. Put your finger here. Turn over to Matthew 24. I just want you to see some things about how important it is about the thinking that goes on in people's lives. Chapter 24, verse 3. Jesus is getting ready to give a two-chapter discourse on how the world is going to end. And the way that this communication starts is that the apostles ask him some questions. Look at verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And look at Jesus' answer out of all the things he could have started with. He brings up something vital. Here's the first thing you guys need to grasp before anything else. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. That's it. See to it that no one dupes you. That no one pulls the wool over your eyes. That they don't get you off of what really matters. That they fill your mind with such things as to divert your heart and drive you directly into a ditch. Think clearly. See the end in mind. Know that He's telling us the truth. Don't let anyone, anyone mislead you. Think about that. Misleading has everything to do with how you think about something. And it has to do with the fact that someone else who is claiming superiority to you is leading you in a direction other than God's way. That's the first thing he tells them. First thing. Think soberly. How about the second thing? Go back to 1 Peter 4. Number one, be sound of sound judgment. Be discerning. See all things clearly through the Scriptures. Notice. And sober, everybody see the word spirit? It's not in there. Put a little circle around it, draw a little slash through it so you can still read it. That's not in there. And sober for the purpose of what? Prayer. Not only do you need to think clearly in the end, but you need to be sober for prayer. Does that necessarily have exclusively to do with excess of alcohol? No, it doesn't. Notice it's that your mind needs to be so clear that you can pray. You can talk to God clearly. That's what it's talking about. Let me ask you a question. What are some of the things in your life that take your mind away from God? Could we make a list? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul? 
Interesting of all the things he put in there, your mind. Your mind is important to God for the purpose of prayer so that we can talk to God correctly. Now this is important. We often say prayer is talking to God. It very much is that. But is that all prayer is? What is prayer meant to do? Do we know? If prayer is meant to do anything, it is to lay us bare before the Lord. It is to drop all burdens that we hold on to. It's to reassess our life situation in light of His truth. It's to come to Him in adoration and say, you know what, you didn't have to do any of this. Thank you. And we praise Him for that in prayer. We can bring to Him confession of sin. Here's the things I've done wrong. You know this, you see this, and I've got to lay them down. Why? Why do we ever do 1 John 1, 9? So that we can walk out of here and continue in the same patterns that we've always done? Never. In fact, to do that is to say I don't really believe what the Scriptures have told me about the confession of sin and His faithfulness and His righteousness to cleanse me from all sin. Why? Because it was just as easy as dropping something on the floor, picking it back up and putting it in my pocket. That's all that happened here. I just, I just needed to get rid of it for a little while. It just wasn't important right now. But when this is over and I get beyond those doors, because for some reason the glory of God ends there, I snatch that right back up and put it in my pocket. Is that true? No. So why do we often deceive ourselves into piddly prayer? Why? It sounds like that in the end times, prayer is incredibly important. Sober for the purpose of prayer. If there's something that that is taking your mind away from God, crucify it. Crucify it. Nail it to the cross. Kill it. So that your mind can be renewed. Are you saying that it's wrong to watch football? No, especially if it's Notre Dame. I had to get it in there, man. I had to do it because we don't like your college team. All right. No. God's given us everything in life to enjoy. To enjoy righteously. You see, it's not necessarily the little areas that we're dabbling in. It's taking the big picture in mind and saying all things are to the glory of God. Thinking soberly about those things. So that I can sit down and get alone with my God and pray soberly through those things. Interesting to see that the first two things have to do with your mind. What you're putting in there. How you're filling it. What is either drawing you near or taking you away from God. Notice this, verse 8, above all. Now, I love that, right? Like a rose. Is that what, no, it's not talking about that at all. Some of you are like, what in the world just happened? Nervous tick. Above all things. In other words, whatever you would accumulate out of this list that you think is vital, go one step further. Wherever your mind stops, take another step out there in the unknown. Above all things, look what he says. Keep fervent in your love for one another. 
What does it mean to be fervent? Fervent. What's that? Red hot. Red hot? White hot. Guys, how hot can we get in love? <laughs> and all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> Wow. Fervent in our love for one another. I've said this before, I say it again, and the reason why I do is because I still don't think we get it because I know that I don't totally get it. Look around this room. Go ahead. It ain't going to hurt you. Unless you got a crick in your neck. The body of Christ. We don't all look alike, do we? That's okay, because God called us to unity, not uniformity. So I don't have to look like you, you don't have to look like me, and that's okay. And you're probably saying, praise God. But here's one thing I do know, is regardless of how you look, where you come from, what you're involved in, what your perspective is, a believer in Christ, I know that my love for you, agape, selfless love, is to be white hot. Do you love me in a white hot way? Boy, that sounds weird. But stop for a second. Regardless of how weird that might sound, is it the body of Christ? Now, why would we do that? Why would Jesus put us out on a limb like that? How come? How come Peter's being so pushy? I mean, this is the greatest thing of all of it. Be white hot in your love for each other. That's no different from what Jesus told us, right? A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. There's the model for us to look at. So that you will prove to be my disciples. You will show the world you're my disciples. How do they know that? Love. But is it white hot or is it lukewarm? What was the problem with the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2? You've lost your first love. What do we see in the church in Laodicea at the end of chapter 3? You are lukewarm, and I want to vomit you out. See, that's an interesting thing. Churches can still be churches and get that way. They're just not good churches. Great churches. Reverence love above all things for one another. Why? Well, I love it because he tells us. Notice he says, above all, keep fervent. In your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. You know what you can guarantee from me as your pastor? At some point, I'm going to sin against you. You can bank on it. You can bet on it. It's certain to happen. Because there's nothing but imperfection here apart from Jesus Christ. Guess what? I'm highly expectant for you to sin against me too. And that's why regardless of what you're dealing with, love goes past that. Now we're not to the marriage part in Ephesians 5 where we're going to talk about that yet. That'll be at the end of the series. But something that I want you to think about 
We're never called to love one another because of the worth of that person. Do you realize that Scripture never brings that up? It's never the idea of, well, you know, Zach got a lot of really good things going on. Nice looking guy. Pulls off a goatee way better than I do. And so that's what's to propel my agape for him. That's never where it's at. It's never based in the importance of the individual. Because then it becomes self-serving. And then it becomes a wavering scale where I can justify whether or not I should love him. Everybody see that? And I don't know about you, but my flesh loves that because it's darn convenient. You know? Shouldn't you love them? Well, but, you know, I know some things that Zach did that you don't. So, no. And Jesus is like, yeah, my will, praise God. Is that how that happens? No. But isn't that often how we get in entanglements with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Isn't that often how we treat our marriages? I've heard that a lot. Well, I'm not going to submit to him because he won't love me like Christ loved the church. Well, I'm not going to love her like Christ loved the church because she won't submit. We're some entitled, ridiculous people who are doing more damage to the body of Christ than anything with that type of attitude. How about deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? There's some good marriage advice. That'll get you much further. Get over yourself, crucify yourself, and follow Jesus. Both of you. That's a different way of living. Love is never motivated by the person in mind. Never. It is always motivated in the context of who the Lord is and what He has done for you. Love your wives as who? Christ loved the church. That means you're not looking at your wife as hot as she may be. You're looking beyond and you're looking to Christ. Because when you're looking beyond and you're looking to Christ, let your love be fervent for one another because it covers a multitude of sins. Why? Because the sins are going to happen. And you need a reason to love the person past where the sins are. See, sin puts a limit on love. If it's worldly love. If it's agape love. Then agape love can overcome that sin like a road bump. And keep going in the right direction. It becomes incredibly forgiving. It starts to tenderize that hard heart. It helps us realize that, you know what? No one is worth loving, really, in and of themselves. Because apart from how we're identified with God, created in His likeness and image, apart from the redemption that we experience in Christ Jesus... What else does a person have? They've only got one thing in common, sin. That's all it is. And what is sin full of? Hurt, sadness, anger, depression, being tore down, being put down, being slandered, being hated. That's all that stuff. So above all, church, we ought to be white hot loving one another. Because when sin pops up in the church, love can steamroll right past it and deal with it. And deal with it lovingly. Not harshly, not 
because of my rights. No, it's a forsaking of my rights. Let's be honest. People are not easy to love. So it's got to be a supernatural thing that I'm asking God to do in my midst, in the midst of the body of Christ. The sin's easy, yeah? It's not going to take long. Half of us might sin before we walk out of these doors. Because that's the easy part. Asking God to bring us in fervency of love for one another. I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of pressure off. God, if it's going to happen, it needs to come through you, not me. How about this? The fourth one here, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another, and we wish there was a period there. Without complaint. If you have the King James Version, it says, not grudgingly. Be hospitable to one another. Now, hospitable doesn't mean put them in the hospital. Sometimes we'd like to do that. What does it mean to be hospitable? See, here's what's interesting. There is a spiritual gift of hospitality. It can be seen in either helps or mercy. That individuals have a special uh, pouring out of. But notice that all believers are called sober-minded, clear-headed for the sake of prayer, above all, to be fervently loving one another. Right here, to be hospitable without yapping about it. All of us. What does it mean to be hospitable? Taking someone in like their family. Receiving people. It might cost you something to better them or to invest in them or to love them. Some of you might not know anything about this, uh, but if I brought up the name Charles Ryrie and if I brought up the name John MacArthur, you will know that those two guys stand on polar opposites of the issue of salvation. One will say, you are saved freely and it's faith alone that saves you. The other one would say, you need to be willing to forsake all your sins and become obedient to do that. Do you realize when these two men got together personally, even though they were on such polar opposite ends of such an incredible issue like that, They did nothing but demonstrate the love of Christ for one another. When MacArthur spoke at Dallas Theological Seminary years ago, before this all really boiled to the surface, Charles Ryrie had him in his home. His wife cooked meals for him, to love him, to care for him. He didn't have a car when he got there. Charles Ryrie said, here, take the keys. Use my car. In fact, from what I understand, he drove a Ford Pinto at that time, so I don't know how loving gesture that was, but (laughs) you sometimes wonder, right? It might cost you something. It's going out of your way. Or let's say it this way. It's forsaking your well-laid plans to be flexible for the betterment of others. What if we were outdoing one another right now in that context? Would that be a good day? I think it would be a great day. I think it would be a fantastic day. Four things since the end is near. Here it is. Judge clearly. Be sober for the sake of prayer. Above all things, fervently love one another because sin's going to happen. Love needs to mow right over the top of it. But lastly, be hospitable and don't complain about it. Don't gripe. Encourage. Now he tells us how these things happen. And here's where I need you to pay extra special attention. Whoever speaks... Everybody see speaks. You want to make sure that you take note of that. 
I'm sorry, forgive me. Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. As each one has received a special gift. The Greek word here is charismata. If you're familiar with the Greek word charis, you know that it has to do with grace. And it's something that is freely received, never earned. Every single believer in Christ has a freely given gift. It would probably be better to call them grace gifts, not so much spiritual gifts. Grace gifts. As each one received a special gift, a grace gift, employ it, use it in serving one another as good what? Stewards. In other words, something that you have not earned or deserved as a believer in Christ, God is now going to give you something that ups the ante of the body life of Christ. It's a special endowment. It's a special ability that you did not previously have before. When I was in high school in speech class, I waited to be the last person to get up and do a speech. Can you believe that? No! Because I can't wait to get in front of you people every Sunday. And if you would let me, I would be here for five hours with you guys, only stopping to go to the potty. But it's something that God does because He says, I don't just want to save you, I want to use you. I want to use you for great, powerful, and wonderful things. There's stuff to do. It's not time to sit and rest, if anything. It's time to do things that you could have never done before because God's going to make it possible. Now, here's the amazing thing. Notice that the spiritual gift is never self-serving. This is the problem they had in Corinth. Everybody wanted to speak in tongues because they thought that was cool and everybody wanted to be cool in Corinth. The problem was is they were trying to edify self. Our spiritual gifts never edify self. They are always, always for the ministry going out from us. You say, well, then how do I get edified? If I'm bringing it out to you, I'm banking on that you know your spiritual gift and are participating in the body of Christ in such a way as to where you're bringing it off to me. You see how that works? It actually has to, we have to, in other words, if you notice all these things, community has to be a reality and that is what the church is. And so if that's the case, you have a grace gift, I have a grace gift, and we are meant to build one another up by doing that. So when I need to be discerning, when I need to be sober for the purpose of prayer, when I need to be fervent in my love for you and you for me, and when we need to be hospitable without griping about it, it's because it's all done in the context of the community of the body of Christ through the spiritual gifts that we are to exercise in the body of Christ. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. If you want to be a bad steward, keep it to yourself, use it to yourself. Don't ever develop it. Don't ever care about getting into what exactly it is. But if you want to be a good steward of what God has given you and use it well, this is what we're going for. Notice, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. You know what that means? So much grace. 
Because God is looking to grace our faces off. That's what He's in the business of doing. And if we don't know our spiritual gift and we're not utilizing our spiritual gift for the betterment of those around us in the body of Christ, we are missing out on many glimpses of grace that He died to give us. He wants us to see it. Sometimes we're not enthralled with the mission of Christ because we failed in our stewardship. Not today. Not anymore. Whether it be lack of knowledge, whether it be purposeful ignorance, I don't know, maybe it be because you can't really talk right all the time. He gives us two categories. Here it is. Verse 11. Whoever speaks, that's category number one, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. These are the spiritual gifts known as preaching, teaching, exhortation, knowledge, and wisdom. If they have a speaking gift, if it fits in the category of speaking, that is to be done as if you were uttering God's very words. That's how seriously you are to take that if He's given you that gift. But notice what it says after that. Whoever serves, and that can be translated also ministers, and it's the idea of having a physical ministry capacity. Whoever serves, category number two, is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. In other words, your spiritual gift can never be done in the flesh. If my spiritual gift is preaching, Regardless of what seminary would teach me, it will never be done effectively by polishing it through a class. Never. I might get inspired. I might get encouraged. I might be able to come up with better ways to make outlines. All of those things. But it's talking about the raw, unadulterated preaching of God's Word to where it is spirit-led and spirit-wrought. God does that. Nobody else. That's God's business working through His people, accomplishing His purposes as the Word goes out. Now, are you saying that we shouldn't do things in order to better harness our spiritual gifts or train up or learn or, or, or figure out what's going on? No, I'm saying you absolutely should. But the greatest way that we learn by doing that is by being involved in either a speaking or a serving ministry. It's the idea of receiving the Word as being taught that we apply that, the equipping of the saints for the what? The what? No, the work of the ministry. Guys, do we have to go back to Ephesians 4? Word-centered offices, equipping the body of Christ with the equipping of the Word. They do the work of the ministry. When that happens, edification takes place by the Spirit. We don't create edification. We don't motivate edification. Edification is the Holy Spirit's job amongst the body of Christ. But what needs to happen? You take the Word, is applied to your life, you then do the work of the ministry. We want to know what our spiritual gifts are. They pop out when we're doing the work of the ministry because you can find out what you're good at and what you're not good at in a spiritual sense, not what you have a talent for, not what you've been specially endowed or that your grandmother told you you were the best singer forever, but Simon voted you off American Idol very quickly. That's not what it is. It's the idea that God has given you a gift to exercise. Now, why is this? So that, everybody see that? It's either speaking or serving. It's got to be the strength that God supplies. So that, here's the reason. In all things, what's the word all mean? 
all, everything, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. In other words, think about this. If you have a speaking gift or you have a serving gift, you are to steward it in serving one another, and the manifold grace of God comes out. And when that takes place, God is the one who gets all the glory, whether you're preaching the word, teaching the word, or whether you're simply meeting with people who are sick, administrating something because your pastor has a garbled mind. I don't know what it is. But God has given these things, and as we work together as the gifted body of Christ, there's nothing but more and more glory for God to receive. Now, let's put some feet on this. Pull out your hand out. You have a chart in here. It says, Spiritual Gifts Inventory Sheet. Now, if you only got one handout, you probably only got one of these. Never fear, Zach is here. We have some extras here. Would somebody else be willing to go around and help pass this out too? Would you mind? Anybody? Thank you, Roxanne. So if you need an extra one, if the one that you have is not sufficient, you're like, you know what, we got three in our group, cool. Raise your hand. Hopefully you have enough to go around. Now here's one thing that we've done. If you've ever seen this before, I'm asking you, please don't give it away. Okay? Don't give away what some of these results are. Keep them to yourself. Because if you notice at the top, it says pre-teaching results. We haven't gotten into the specific spiritual gifts yet. I just want you to be able to answer these statements truthfully and mark down what it is. Now, no analysis like this is perfect. Please understand. But out of all the ones that I've gone through, and I've gone through a lot of them, this is probably the most right-on one that I've seen. If for no other reason that it keeps the gift of evangelism off of here, therefore excusing a lot of people to never share Christ with anybody. That's not how it's supposed to be done. If you notice, you have four selections at the top. I'm going to say a statement. I'm going to show you a statement quickly up on the screen. When I show you that statement, you have an initial gut reaction that you're going to have. You're going to see it and you're going to go, that's never me. Great, zero. You might say, well, eh. Okay, that's probably rarely. Put down a one. When you say, you know what? Yeah, sometimes that's me. It's leaning more towards the favorable side. Put down a two. If you're like, that's me! Put down a three. Everybody got that? Zero, never. One, rarely. Two, sometimes. Three, almost always. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn these in or anything. These are for you to keep. And as we go through the spiritual gifts, we will begin filling these in. You guys ready? Everybody ready? Roxanne, you ready? Yeah? Okay. Roxanne's not ready. We'll wait for Roxanne to ready. I'm going to go ahead and guess she has a serving gift because she popped up so quickly to help with that. Here we go. Thank you. Appreciate that. Number one. We got it, PJ? We'll do this as a starter. I speak up for Christian principles even when what I say is not popular. Now, you just had a reaction. You either had the, somebody put on the brakes in your mind. Okay, that's probably a zero. You had to say, well, only if it gets really, really bad, but I'm still apprehensive. Well, then that's probably a one, rarely. You say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to get in there just to make the truth known. Well, that's probably a two. If you're ready for like a dog at a fight and you're like wiping off slobber, that's a three. Okay? 
You're like, yes, that's my battle. I'm in. I speak up for Christian principles even when what I say is not popular. Anybody want to guess what I scored on this? Here we go. Now we're going to go a little bit quicker. Here's the reason why. It's not something for you to mull over. And here's especially what you don't do. Man, I wish I was that way. So I'm going to mark that. God doesn't care what you wish you were like. God does care who you are. So that's what you want to do. If it's not you, that's okay. We did this survey. We found out that a lot of our elders don't have the gift of mercy. I mean, you can look at that and go, you mean they're not merciful? No, there's a general mandate to be merciful. It's saying that in certain mercy situations, a lot of us just don't gravitate towards that direction. That's okay. You know why that's okay? Because there are people in the body of Christ that are merciful. And if we were to step in there, we would do it poorly because we're not gifted to do it. They step in there, bing, it is spiritual gold. That's how the body of Christ works together, serving one another. Number two, I enjoy encouraging and giving counsel to those who are discouraged. Let me read it one more time. I enjoy encouraging and giving counsel to those who are discouraged. Is that you? How about number three? We are going to go quickly. It's a gut reaction, remember. I have an ability to study a passage of Scripture thoroughly and effectively share its truth with others. I have an ability to study a passage of Scripture thoroughly and effectively share it, share its truth with others. Man, I wish I was like that. Don't make that mistake. If you're not that, it's okay. God's given you a different gift. Not a big deal. Number four, I often have insights that offer practical solutions to difficult problems. I often have insights that offer practical solutions to difficult problems. That's never me. Cool. Write down zero. It's okay. Number five, I enjoy studying difficult questions about God's Word and tend to find answers more easily and more quickly than others. That's not a prideful thing. It's just a fact. We're going to talk about pride and humility next week regarding spiritual gifts. Because it's really easy to get prideful. I enjoy studying difficult questions about God's Word and tend to find answers more easily and more quickly than others. Next one. I'm confident of achieving great things for the glory of God. I am confident of achieving great things for the glory of God. You have that confidence. Next one. I enjoy giving money to those in serious financial need. I enjoy giving money to those in serious financial need. Now let me say something real quick about that one. That doesn't mean that you have to be rich to do it. There are plenty of people that live way below their income and they would have a middle class income, but it's because they understand they have that spiritual gift that they participate in those things. Let's not get our minds in this idea, well, I've got to be rich in order for that to happen. Not necessarily so. You have to be led of the Spirit in order for that to happen. That's the difference. Eight. I enjoy comforting people in hospitals, prisons, and nursing homes. I enjoy comforting people in hospitals, prisons, or nursing homes. Number nine, I enjoy working behind the scenes without public recognition. I enjoy working behind the scenes without public recognition. You don't need it. Number ten, I can be counted on to step forward and assume leadership in a group where none exists. I can be counted on to step forward and assume leadership in a group where none exists. Number 11, I have the ability to organize ideas, people, and projects to reach a specific goal. I have the ability to organize ideas, people, and projects to reach a specific goal. Number 12, 
People often say, I have good spiritual judgment. People often say, I have good spiritual judgment. Number 13, I feel a need to speak God's messages from the Bible to help people know what God expects of them. I feel a need to speak God's messages from the Bible to help people know what God expects of them. 14, after I talk one-on-one with people, they often are spurred to take positive action. After I talk one-on-one with people, they often are spurred to take positive action. 15, when a question arises from a difficult Bible passage, I am motivated to research the answer. When a question arises from a difficult Bible passage, I'm motivated to research the answer. 16, when they don't know what to do, people often ask my advice. Is that you? When they don't know what to do, people often ask my advice. Number 17, I enjoy gathering information from multiple sources to find answers or information. I enjoy gathering information from multiple sources to find answers or information. 18, I often step out and start successful projects other people won't attempt. I often step out and start successful projects other people won't attempt. 19, I joyfully give money to the church well above my tithe. I joyfully give money to the church well above my tithe. Verse verse, (laughs) number 20, I feel compassion for hurting and lonely people and like to spend time with them to encourage. I feel compassion for hurting and lonely people and like to spend time with them to encourage. 21. I would like to assist my pastor and other church leaders so that they have more time to accomplish their essential ministries. I would like to assist my pastor and other church leaders so that they will have more time to accomplish their essential ministries. See me after church. 22. I don't mind asking others to accomplish an important ministry for the church. I don't mind asking others to accomplish an important ministry for the church. 23, I am organized, set goals, and make plans to reach those goals. I am organized, set goals, and make plans to reach those goals. 24, I'm a good judge of character and can identify spiritual falsehood. I am a good judge of character and can identify spiritual falsehood. 25, It is easy for me to apply biblical principles to present-day situations. It is easy for me to apply biblical principles to present-day situations. 26. I feel a need to challenge others to better themselves and their spiritual growth without condemning them. I feel a need to challenge others to better themselves and their spiritual growth without condemning them. 27. Others listen to and appreciate my teaching of Scripture. Others listen to and appreciate my teaching of Scripture. 28, the Lord enables me to make appropriate application of Bible truth, biblical truth, to practical situations. The Lord enables me to make appropriate application of biblical truth to practical situations. 29, I can independently recognize difficult biblical truths and principles. I can independently recognize difficult biblical truths and principles. Number 30, I trust God's faithfulness even when everything looks bad. I trust God's faithfulness even when everything looks bad. 31, I am open to lowering my standard of living in order to be able to give more to the church or to others in need. 
I'm open to lowering my standard of living in order to be able to give more to the church or to others in need. 32, I want to do whatever I can for needy people, even if it means giving up something. I want to do whatever I can for needy people, even if it means giving up something. 33, I enjoy relieving others of routine tasks so that they can get special projects done. I enjoy relieving others of routine tasks so they can get special projects done. 34, I can guide and manage a group of people toward achieving a specific goal. I can guide and manage a group of people toward achieving a specific goal. 35, I am comfortable delegating significant responsibilities to other people. I am comfort, comfortable delegating specific, sorry, significant, <laughs> I am comfortable delegating significant responsibilities to other people. 36, I'm able to distinguish between right and wrong in complex spiritual matters that aren't clear to others. I am able to distinguish between right and wrong in complex spiritual matters that aren't clear to others. 37. I can organize and present biblical truth clearly in a way others understand. I can organize and present biblical truth clearly in a way others understand. 38. People tell me things they don't tell others because they find it easy to talk to me. People will tell me things they don't tell others because they find it easy to talk to me. That's not in a gossip way. 39. My thinking is organized and my approach systematic when presenting Bible lessons to a group. My thinking is organized and my approach systematic when presenting Bible lessons to a group. 40. I am able to interpret and apply Scripture with keen insight. I'm able to interpret and apply Scripture with keen insight. 41. I stick with a study I've started in order to develop a more complete understanding. I stick with a study I've started in order to develop a more complete understanding. 42. I often exercise my faith through prayer and witness the Lord's answers. I often exercise my faith through prayer and witness the Lord's answers. In other words, you see God answer those things. 43. When I give money to someone, I often give anonymously and don't expect anything in return. When I give money to someone, I often give anonymously and don't expect anything in return. 44, when I hear of unemployed people who can't pay their bills, I do what I can to help. When I hear of unemployed people who can't pay their bills, I do what I can to help. 45, I enjoy helping others get their work done. I enjoy helping others get their work done. 46, people often respect my opinion and follow my direction. People often respect my opinion and follow my direction. 47, I can discipline myself under pressure to accomplish goals. I can discipline myself under pressure to accomplish goals. 48, people come to me for help in distinguishing between spiritual truth and error. People come to me for help in distinguishing between spiritual truth and error. 49, I find the fundamental truths of Scripture to be worth repeating over and over. I find the fundamental truths of Scripture to be worth repeating over and over. 50, I will stay with people and encourage them to finish a task once they have started it. I will stay with people and encourage them to finish a task once they have started it. 51. I can explain the teaching of the Bible clearly and concisely. I can explain the teaching of the Bible clearly and concisely. 52. It is easy for me 
uh, it is easy for me, sorry, to put, should be to put, ideas into words to analyze situations and explain them well. It is easy for me to put ideas into words to analyze solutions and explain them well. Do me a favor, Mark 52, if you wouldn't mind, so we can fix that. 53, I've understood problems in the church and have seen answers when others didn't. I have understood problems in the church and have seen answers when others didn't. Now, that doesn't mean if everybody just do it my way, it'd all get fixed, okay? There's a temptation there. 54, I'm willing to take on difficult assignments and meet obstacles head on. I'm willing to take on difficult assignments and meet obstacles head on. 55, I want to share my financial resources to help others in worthy endeavors. I want to share my financial resources to help others in worthy endeavors. 56, I willingly lay aside my own desires in order to help others. I willingly lay aside my own desires in order to help others. 57, I often rearrange my schedule so that I can help others. I often rearrange my schedule so I can help others. 58, I enjoy inspiring others and leading them for the sake of Christ's work. I enjoy inspiring others and leading them for the sake of Christ's work. 59, I can see the big picture of a project and can coordinate others who only see similar, sorry, smaller parts. I can see the big picture of a project and can coordinate others who only see smaller parts. 60. When evaluating a situation, I am able to pinpoint sources of difficulty. When evaluating a situation, I am able to pinpoint sources of difficulty. 61. I challenge people to set high standards of biblical conduct in their daily lives. I challenge people to set high standards of biblical conduct in their daily lives. 62. I have deep concern for the spiritual welfare of Christians in crisis. I have deep concern for the spiritual welfare of Christians in crisis. 63. I've shared biblical truth with others in a way that they have found meaningful and helpful. I've shared biblical truth with others in a way that they have found meaningful and helpful. 64. When discussing a problem, I can clarify the issue and what is needed to resolve it. When discussing a problem, I can clarify the issue and what is needed to resolve it. 65. I study the Bible systematically, trying to see how one part relates to another. I study the Bible systematically, trying to see how one part relates to another. 66. I confidently expect God to respond to situations committed to Him in prayer. I confidently expect God to respond the situations committed to him in prayer. 67. Sharing financial resources for Christian ministry is one of the greatest joys of my Christian walk. Sharing financial resources for Christian ministry is one of the greatest joys of my Christian walk. 68. People tend to call on me when help is needed for someone in distress. People tend to call on me when help is needed for someone in distress. Number 69. I share my material possessions with others when they are in need. I share my material possessions with others when they are in need. 70. People seem to look to me for leadership when I'm in a group. People seem to look to me for leadership when I'm in a group. 71. I enjoy working out the necessary details to organize people and resources for a more effective ministry. I enjoy working out the necessary details to organize people and resources for a more effective ministry. 72. I seem to know when a situation is not right. I seem to know when a situation is not right. 73. I long to proclaim the truth of God's word with authority and conviction. I long to proclaim the truth of God's word with authority and conviction. 
74. I enjoy encouraging others by sharing God's promises from Scripture. I enjoy encouraging others by sharing God's promises from Scripture. 75. I enjoy communicating biblical truth to others and seeing growth in their Christian life. I enjoy communicating biblical truth to others and seeing growth in their Christian life. Or sorry, Christian faith. 76. I apply spiritual truth effectively in my own life. I apply spiritual truth effectively in my own life. 77, I study matters thoroughly so as to locate information others might overlook. I study matters thoroughly so as to locate information others might overlook. 78, I've had great dreams and aspirations turn into reality despite the unlikeliness of accomplishing them. I've had great dreams and aspirations turn into reality despite the unlikeliness of accomplishing them. 79, when I give sacrificially, I'm confident that the Lord will provide for my needs. When I give sacrificially, I'm confident that the Lord will provide for my needs. 80, preparing meals or helping those less fortunate gives me satisfaction and pleasure. Preparing meals, whoa, 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 go back, got to read it one more time. Preparing meals or helping those less fortunate gives me satisfaction and pleasure. 81. I enjoy short-term tasks rather than long-term projects. I enjoy short-term tasks rather than long-term projects. 82. I will take full responsibility to get things done and remain optimistic in spite of difficulties. I will take full responsibility to get things done and remain optimistic in spite of difficulties. 83. When faced with a difficult situation, I can get to the heart of the problem and take steps to resolve it. When faced with a difficult situation, I can get to the heart of the problem and take steps to resolve it. 84. When counseling, I can correctly identify a problem. When counseling, I can correctly identify a problem. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Regardless of what your totals are, because the way that you're going to do it is, you're going to take 113, 25, 37, 49, 61, and 73, everything on the top row, you're going to add that up and put the total there. I am not going to tell you what the spiritual gifts are until we go through them. But I am going to give you this. If you turn your sheet sideways, the first bracket of five are speaking gifts. The first bracket of five are speaking gifts. So if you want to turn it sideways and right here in this bracket, speaking right there. The remaining gifts, the remaining seven are serving gifts. First five are speaking Second group of seven is serving. Speaking and serving. Those are the two categories of spiritual gifts. We'll fill in the details later, but I'm interested to see who you are as we go through this. Now, as a point of application, our children's ministry is exploding. It's awesome. But it's also pretty cumbersome on those that are involved. We've had anywhere between 28 and 34 kids over the past month. And they're all from three years old to third grade. Now, we don't believe in purgatory here. But I do know one thing. More participation from the people in the body of Christ that we have, the easier that that stops becoming a burden and starts becoming a joy because we're teaching people about Jesus. We're teaching children about Jesus. And so here's what I would ask. If you are someone... When you figure this up, you recognize that you've got really high numbers in that first bracket of five. I would ask you, 
pray about being involved is teaching in the children's ministry. Getting involved in those kids' lives because you have the spiritual gift of speaking in some way. may not be like everybody else's, and that's okay. We'll talk about how that all works out later. But there's a great avenue for ministry to get plugged in and begin serving the Lord for His glory. We'll talk more about this later. I'm, I'm anxious to get at it, so let's pray. Father, thank you that you do gift us, that you do bless us. And these gifts are done for the betterment of others, never ourselves, always others. I ask, Father, that your mercy would train our hearts, teach our minds. Maybe we're apprehensive about this, but there is not one person in the body of Christ that is to sit still. We are all ministers to the body, every one of us, whether it be in speaking, whether it be in serving. doesn't matter. You've called us to be used for your glory. Father, help us to be sober in judgment, clear-headed for prayer, above all, fervently loving one another, and to be hospitable without complaining. We are to do all those things in the context of our spiritual gift. That's what matters in the last days. Because the end is near, that's what matters. We pray all this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.